Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. This week, we're switching it up once again, and I've got quite a fun episode in store for you guys. So, as you know, I'm looking to switch it up here at the Radiant Podcast. I really want a way for you guys to understand me, for you guys to know me and to know my story in a deeper way than what can happen on an Instagram feed or a website. So I figured I'd call in the ranks. I'd bring in some of my best friends to interview me, to get me on the other side of the mic, and they know the nitty-gritty details of what goes on in my life, and they leave no stone unturned. So what you're going to hear moving forward is a once-a-month conversation where I'm on the other side of the mic and a friend who knows me and knows all the questions to ask, knows what to pull out of me for you guys. And that is going to be just such a blast. You're going to hear it first here with Griffin. You see her all over my feed. I joke all the time that Colorado is what brought us two Southern girls together. And you're going to hear what a typical Friday night sound like with us bouncing off of each other. I think you're going to laugh. I think you're going to learn new things about me. And I just can't wait for you guys to hear our dynamic it cracks me up. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Radiant Podcast. If you're confused by my voice, there is a good reason. I am not your host, Kelsey Chapman, but my name is Griffin Hill and I'm one of Kelsey's best friends and was on a previous episode of the Radiant Podcast. But today we have the privilege of interviewing Kelsey so that you guys can learn a little bit more about her and kind of get a deeper insight into who is leading all these interviews. Woo! And that is Kelsey with her woo. <laughs> okay, so Kelsey, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Okay, so Kelsey and I talk all day, every day. So some of this is just going to be like sitting into our life chats, but we're going to focus on some things that you haven't heard in Kelsey's interview. So to kick it off, I want you to tell me three things that the audience doesn't know about you that you think they should know. Okay, so we had to write these down because it is so strange to be on the other side of the mic, but I would start by saying I'm an Enneagram 7. If you haven't heard that woven into all of the episodes, um, I'm sure if you listen regularly, you have. So I'm an Enneagram 7. That means I'm the enthusiast. I believe I could have a balanced wing because I have a lot of attributes of the six mainly anxiety, and the get it done mentality of an eight. So I really will get to go into that a little bit more later. Um, But I really take life with a fun and freedom-based approach. So that really makes sense when I dove into the Enneagram of why I am a seven. Um, And I can't wait to chat about that. I went to missionary school before I started my business and totally thought that I was going to lay down all of my frivolous tendencies and go give it all away on the mission field. I lived in a village in Peru for a period of time while I was in college um, and taught English. And then I also lived and went to a school in Pimba, Mozambique after college and got to do that alongside my cousin. So that was really fun. Um, But it was kind of there that I realized, oh, I'm meant to be in the business space and be a connector to the mission field. 
And then third, I really love women investing in women. So I've had about 10 significant mentors in my life, plus countless other women who have invested in me. And then I've also seen the significance of friendship propelling us forward. So not only have I had older women willing to invest in me, but I also love friendship. So you're going to hear my sappiness come out with Griffin today um, because I really think that through women championing each other, we're able to totally propel each other forward into what we're meant to carry into this world and into our purpose in life. Okay. All the things. All the things. All right. So to unpack this a little bit deeper, I think we're going to start with the Enneagram because I feel like it sets the tone for all the other things that you just described. And when people understand more about who you are and why you function, I think it's going to help shed light onto why you're not a missionary right now or why friendship and mentorship are so important to you on kind of a deeper level. So since you're the one who taught me about the Enneagram and all of our friends who know (laughs) us are listening to this right now and probably turning it off, (laughs) I can't take another Enneagram talk with Griffin and Kelsey, but for people who don't know us, We're going to enlighten them of the Enneagram. So give us the flyover of what it is and why it matters. And then tell us a little bit more about what being a seven means. So it doesn't sound like we're in a cult. Yes, because it totally might sound like we're in a cult, especially with Griffin and I's enthusiasm around this topic. Strong. It's, I mean, we go hard with the Enneagram. So I love the Enneagram because it is a typology that doesn't measure your personality behavior, but more of your motivations. And so, you know, I love the Myers-Briggs and the DISC test, and I think they're actually very helpful in the workplace and in different roles in life, but your behaviors do change in life. And so sometimes on the DISC test, I'm more dominant in seasons or more social and more cautious in seasons than others, but my motivations never change. And so when I dug into the Enneagram it made so much sense because not only did it give a grid for my basic motivations in life, it also showed me where I went in stress and in health. And so, you know, seven, the enthusiast goes to a one in stress and that's the perfectionist. And I have, you know, probably 10 years worth of journal entries where I probably would have thought I was a one because I was living in so much stress and I was embodying probably the most negative traits of that number. And so it really, um, gave me a grid for helping me understand when I'm doing well or when I'm a little more spread threat. It gave me a grid for really understanding when I'm doing well or when I'm a little more spread thin. And it gave me such a different level of compassion for the people in my life who are wired differently. So it validated my motivations and why it makes so much sense when I really dug into the Enneagram of not only my career choices, but my personal relationships in life. Um, It not only validated my way of being, but the way of being with the people around me. And it gave us all grace and compassion for the way each other are wired. Because you'll hear in the episode, Griffin and I are a seven and a one. And so we operate differently, but it's validated each of our ways of being. Yeah, definitely. And I am an Enneagram one, so I'm a perfectionist to the core. And I actually move towards Kelsey's number, which is a seven in times of health and fun and vacation. And so she makes me more fun and I make her more serious and organized probably. But the cool thing is when you really understand the language of the Enneagram, it helps you in your relationships and in your business to understand 
why you're motivated to do what you do and why certain things trigger you and maybe not somebody else. So it's super, super helpful in working with others and processing new information and sometimes those stressful seasons. Oh my gosh. It, it made so much sense for my career trajectory specifically when I realized I was a seven. Um, but I think Griffin put it really nicely there. Not, not only does she keep me organized and like on track, but I joke all the time that she keeps me from being sloppy, <laughs> which is not a true risk, but, <laughs> but sometimes we joke about that, but okay. So staying on the Enneagram a little bit longer, why do you think it is important for everyone to learn their Enneagram number? Even if this doesn't pique their interest as, I mean, how could it not? Because it's so fascinating to learn about yourself, but we get that everybody does not feel that way. So what do you think the biggest value it like one thing biggest value it's been for you it validates the people around you for who they are so my husband's a great example and he knows that I share this story often so it's not throwing him under the bus but you know he's a nine and nines move a little bit more slowly through life and I'm aggressive and so <laughs> I really was like how do you operate so slowly? Um, but then there are beautiful traits about him of he's the ultimate peacemaker in the room. He always sees what everyone, he always sees the angle and the point of view of every single person at the table. And he's really able to um, have an unbiased approach to life. So there are, you know, pros and cons to each number. And I think the Enneagram really dives into both. Um, but I remember when we first heard his type, he was like, oh, there are other people like me. And I was like, oh my God, there are other people <laughs> like him. And so it, it made so much sense that what we had been chalking up to character flaws in each other, for him, he was definitely, you know, standoffish towards my level of aggressiveness and confrontation sometimes to other people specifically. Like he can handle me, but if I ever address something head on, it made him pretty much die inside. Um, and then for me, his like, you know, level of exhaustion after being around conflict or even having a stern tone or, mm -hmm. you know, just the different nuances of what makes us us, it really validated that um, that is how an entire subsect of people are wired. And while it definitely highlights pain points that we can overcome, it's not, it's not meant to just say, Hey, you can stay in your bad traits. Like Kelsey, you can just be aggressive and rude forever. You know, I think that it really at least pinpoints that people are indeed wired this way. And here's some, um, support and how to move towards your healthiest version of yourself. Definitely. I echo all of that, but especially the self-work piece, because as a one, I love reformation um, and fixing things. But I think that the self-work piece for me is so liberating because it, it makes you understand no matter who you are and how you're wired, you can do things to bring you into your best self so that you can really use your gifts and talents in the best way possible. And that could be for business. It could be in your marriage or your friendships or just anything in life that you're passionate about. But to me, that was really freeing because it's like when you're stuck, you don't have to be stuck in that. And it kind of gives you the tools of how to reframe your natural tendencies and where to move in that direction, which has just been really cool. So in business specifically, and this is kind of veering more into your old life as thinking you're going to be a missionary and global studies major and all those things that you can tell us about, but how has your personality and your passions played into that shift? Oh my gosh. Okay. So a few things. 
most of which were discovered in a TD, a TD Jake sermon, um, at Elevation Church. So look it up. We'll link it up. But, um, one of those being is that sometimes in the, in the Christian space, especially we're like, Oh, don't get too introspective. You don't want to become obsessed with yourself. And it's like, no, we date our spouse. We pretty much date friends to decide if we want to be their friend, but we never take the time to get to know ourselves. And so how in the world could we carry and steward our purpose in this world if we didn't know how we're wired, if we didn't know our potential hangups, our strengths? And so I am very much a fan of introspection. Now, don't get weird and get obsessed with talking about yourself, but figure out, you know, your pain points, your strengths, and take some time to dissect that because I would 100% attribute the expansion and the success of my business to self-work. Not only my business, but my marriage, my friendships, my relationships with my parents, all of it, because it really allows you to highlight where you have some room to work on. And I think the Enneagram does do a good job of highlighting your pain points first and foremost. I mean, as a seven, I tend to reframe everything with positivity and think I'm awesome. Um, some of you four, four girls out there don't love me for that, but, uh, y'all like me after you get to know me. Um, you realize I have some depth in here. Um, but I, I really think it is 100% vital to carrying your calling to its fullest potential. I think plenty of people start their calling and then fizzle out because they're not emotionally healthy enough to steward it. And so I think, um, you know, a little bit of background of my journey, kind of what Griffin really initially asked is I got out of college with a global studies degree. I totally thought I'd end up on the mission field. Spent a few years before I actually ended up on the mission field, you know, picking up a few day jobs, doing some ministry on the side. And then I went off to Pemba, Mozambique, and I went to a pretty intensive missions program called Harvest School. It was so incredible. Um, but I actually heard, you know, some of those one-liners sometimes you hear and it's like, man, that sentence was for me. Um, something Heidi said was some of you guys are meant to be a bridge to the mission world. One of the most important takeaways while I was there was realizing it takes money to, um, fund impactful work. It takes money to pay for the food, to feed the kids who live on base, um, or to make sure water is in the well for the village who uses the well for all of their, you know, drinking needs. And so I think that that was a huge, um, moment, a huge point in time for me. Cause I thought I would lay all of these entrepreneurial tendencies down to go live on the mission field and serve people. And I got there and realized that the best way I could serve was to run with what I was gifted in. And that was, you know, these business gifts that I had really seen blooming since I was a little girl. And so I really got there and got freed up to actually walk in the gifts God had given me. Um, and come home and start things. Now, when I got home, you know, it's not like I was immediately able to launch my own business and be successful, but I did work some day jobs while I was getting my business off the ground, which those bosses knew. Uh, but another thing, you know, in TD Jake's sermon that he said is you entrepreneurs need to get out of a nine to five because you're not doing anyone a favor. He said, you're miserable and everyone around you is miserable being with you. And that would be probably 
150% true for me. And so I didn't really know where my place was in the world because I, I've always been an ideas person, but really didn't know how to launch my own dream, um, but also feeling this tension of having so much vision for the organization I worked for, but not having the room to develop it. And so um, I think it was really my last job falling apart that, you know, every, every, I know some of you have heard me here say this before, but every employee quit in one day. And so it was really that job falling apart. And I had been building up my clientele on the side, but I was way too scared to just go out on my own. But it was really that coming to a point where this is over that I had to go for it. And I have gotten to hear you tell this story many times as part of just sharing your story because this shift in your life was a really pivotal moment, not only in realizing, okay, this calling that I thought I was going to do is not exactly for me, or it's not the way that I'm going to go about it. And then also I want to jump into this thing I'm really passionate about, but it just doesn't seem viable right now. And so for somebody who's listening that might feel kind of torn between, okay, this is what I thought I should do. And I heard someone recently say that should, should be considered a cuss word. Yeah. Should stop. Actually, I think that was Meredith. Seven's agree. She's listening. Oh, and she's an aggressive stance too. Yeah. Us aggressive people don't like the word should. Yeah. So people who think they should be doing something, which was kind of what you had put on yourself at mm-hmm. that time too. You should be a missionary. You should serve people by laying down all your earthly desires and really stepping into something that feels like you're gifting and like where you can grow and flourish in life. If someone's kind of in that season right now, what advice would you give them? I think my first piece of advice would be to get your expectations in line. Just because it might be something that you know is the next step doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You know, I am three and a half years into taking my first client, which was really the first step in my business, but I didn't even go full time in my business till six to eight months later. Mm -hmm. You know, It was January of this year, so three years into my business, where I finally felt like, oh, I'm in a flow. Um, It was actually just plain old hard the first three years. And so I think, number one, not to be discouraging, because I really do believe that it can be hard and good at the same time. So mixed in with that hard, you can hold joy and pain simultaneously, but just because it's hard doesn't mean you should quit. I would just expect it to be a little bit hard. And so that's number one. But also, number two, when you're getting started, don't rush it either. I stayed in my day job until it was so obvious it was time to launch my business full time. You know, I I moved to Colorado and got a job and worked it for about six months. When I took the job, I thought, maybe this is it. This is um, microfinancing in Africa, using all the business tendencies and gifts I have to do impactful work overseas. I thought this is what everything has culminated for, for my lifelong career. And while I did, I was building up these clients on the side. I wasn't sure I was going to go full time on my own. I thought if I'm content in this job, I could do this forever. It's amazing. And it really took that falling apart to be the nudge that was like, nope, you're doing this and you're doing it full time. And I I was terrified because by the six month mark, I had matched my income, but I still was battling the fear of, yeah, but if one client drops, it's all, I don't have enough, you know? And, and so I think it was just kind of that nudge out the door 
to step into my destiny. I know that's a little bit woo-woo. Say your woo-woo. <laughs> I hate woo-woo things. <laughs> I hate them. So when I say too many woo-woo things, Griffin's little one-liner is woo-woo, woo-woo. I start to cringe. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, it was great up until that yeah. last little bit hey. that stressed me out with the destiny and calling. But all joking aside, I think that one reason that it's really important for you to do these types of interviews on your podcast is because it is so easy as a listener. And we know this because we are podcast consumers as well to listen to someone's story and think, wow, they have it all together. They are out there chasing their dream and pursuing excellence and everything is just coming to them. And it's awesome. And both of us are entrepreneurs and talk every single day about how life is not like that. And it's really important to have your entrepreneurial friends that you can kind of share the lows and the highs with. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to realize both of us are really passionate about not just stepping into this new calling until things make sense for you, for your family, and so that you can develop them and not live in a state of stress or maybe a lack of finances. And that is so, so important. You might also hear us giggle a little bit because my dogs are jumping onto our laps, but we're just trying to keep it real. They love to love us. They love to snuggle. So yeah, I think that stepping into your calling when you're ready is also a really big part of your story because you didn't come home from being a missionary and just say, awesome, now I'm going to have a six-figure empire and start my business today and never work a day in a job that I don't like ever again. Life just did not go like that. Absolutely. Actually, if we're being totally honest, I got home from mission school and took about six months for me to even start dreaming. And then it took another year before I took my first client. So it was a year and a half before I even made an income through my dream. Um, so I would say that's the, that was the start of my business, December of 2015. And then it was another six months before I was able to leave my day job. And that's actually pretty fast. Most people don't just leave their day job within six months, but Mm -hmm. I matched enough of my income. And I'm so thankful I matched my income because I'd rather start a business while working a day job to have cash flow because Griffin and I both know businesses are expensive to run. Yeah. (laughs) And and so, you know, when you are working a day job and you can say, Hey, I'm living off of this and everything I make from my side hustle, which I eventually want to be my full-time hustle, I can put back into my business for growth purposes. And you better believe the first few years of your business You need to be investing back into it because it will never grow and scale at the rate you want it to or at a healthy pace if you're not willing to invest in it. I had an old boss, really the boss of my last job would say, Kelsey, take the first $5,000 you make and invest it back in yourself. And I have invested in so much education, so much mentorship at a paid level. I really value that. And so I was really thankful to be able to work a day job to fund that. Yeah, I think that... When you are in this crossroads of figuring everything out and then you have this opportunity to take the leap for your dream, then I think it's tempting to leave too early. Mm -hmm. But since you started it out of this place where you were more comfortable, it wasn't exactly a comfortable exit to leave and get into this new phase of your life. But kind of walk us through some of those feelings in the very beginning of when you were finally on your own and you had matched most of your income, if not close to all of it, what were your feelings or your 
what was your strategy in the beginning when you kind of had no idea what you were doing, but needed to come at it from a place of authority of this is my business now and I'm in charge? Yeah. Well, I like to call that the Kelsey coaster of um, (laughs) high highs and really tearful lows. And so I definitely struggle with anxiety. And so, you know, the first few years of running your business, most businesses fail in the first three years. And so you're investing most of what you make back in. You're paying yourself enough to live. I also have the added stress of I'm the breadwinner. My husband's at school. So if it all went away and I left my job too early and all of a sudden we didn't have income one month, I felt deeply irresponsible for putting us in a stressful position. And my husband is the ultimate cheerleader for me. He's such um, a champion of what I do and is always tends to think it'll be fine. But I definitely go to that that one place, the low side of the one when I'm stressed. So I get really critical, really perfectionistic really critical of myself. So anytime it got tight, I really went to a low place of thinking I was irresponsible or not doing it the right way. And I think just knowing where you can go and stress with your Enneagram number is helpful. I didn't know this at the time. I was really just diving in. It was actually the pain of leaving that job that caused me to do self-work because, you know, that was a job that myself and all of my coworkers thought, because of the mission of it, we could do this forever, mm-hmm. but it was too toxic of a work environment to stay. And so that really sent me on this journey of saying, hey, clearly people have dreams that are doable. They're working enough, but they're never going to get stewarded to their fullest potential if the leader's not healthy enough to steward it. So I realized in my own business, I wanted to be healthy enough to not just carry my business for a few years and then it fizzle out or I always have people quitting because they can't work with me. I wanted to get healthy enough to carry it forever for the long haul. And so um, the past three years have been a journey of of a lot of self-work, a lot of counseling, a lot of really understanding how to run a business and the good times because the good times are awesome. It gives me the freedom I want. It's fun. I can travel. But then the hard times are, okay, running your own business means money ebbs and flows. There are good seasons and there are hard seasons. Um, running your own business means it all falls on you. And so there, there's trade-offs. Okay. So this seems like a little bit of a switch, but I promise it's going to tie back in. But what do you think is the most common misconception that people have about you? That I'm always rainbows and butterflies. Maybe because you are seven. So you do love fun and freedom. Is that what you think it is? Maybe. I want to know what you're thinking. Well, I've heard you say something else. So I didn't know if you were going to... I don't know. Is it that people tell me I'm a dictator and I'm aggressive? No, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> I have been told that. She has been told that. Um, no, it, it is probably more of the rainbows and butterflies, just playing off of that a little bit. Maybe, maybe just that things are really easy and come really easily. Um, as obviously this business story has shown that that is not true, mm-hmm. but I was kind of going to use that into my question about counseling. And if you would talk about that a little bit, because counseling, it shows that a, you are not rainbows and butterflies all the time. Cause no one can do rainbows and butterflies in counseling every day. And also the fact that things haven't been super easy mm-hmm. and because you are so lighthearted and love to pour into people and have that fun route all the time that can go misunderstood if you don't clarify it. So I think it's important for 
some of your listeners who may have listened in and thought, Kelsey can't relate to where I'm coming from because she's three years into her business. It must be going super easy and really well. And she can't relate to where I am. Totally. So this is a little bit counterintuitive to most sevens, but I love counseling. She does. Um, Probably a stereotype of a seven is we don't want to face our pain. But here's my thing. If I face my pain and there's more freedom and fun on the other side, boom, double whammy. So I love counseling because I have been on the side of self-inflated public figures working for them and realized, oh my gosh, this is so disenchanting. This is what it looks like for someone to start their vision, but not steward their team well. If you have an audience who thinks you're awesome, but your team is dying, um, hello, you're really missing it. And so for me, I've, I've been in these really painful jobs um, and I've been on the side of being on a team where I was dying. Um, and I, not dramatic. Yeah. Literally it felt like I was, dying. I mean, my, my coworker had an ulcer from the job we were doing. Um, and, and that's happened a few times and I really saw there, um, and this will all tie together too. I promise. I really saw there that, whoa, like what they're doing is impactful work, but we're only, you know, living out a piece of the puzzle. If, if the work that's getting done is impactful, but we're not using the other opportunity we have is caring and impacting our team and the people around us in our inner circle. And so that's really what sent me down a route of counseling. But, you know, running my own business has also highlighted pain points, um, that were really serious for me. I spent an entire year in counseling last year, focusing a lot on money mindset, on anxiety. I had this crippling fear that the rug would be pulled out from under me, maybe because I graduated during the recession and my family has their own business and I saw what it's like for the times when it's hard. And so um, I think most people hear me and hear my ability to reframe things with positivity and think, oh, she's never been through a hard thing a day in her life. And that's actually not true. And I also have a strong aversion to proving myself to people. So I will never just come in and be like, my life's been so hard. Let me tell you all that I've overcome to prove myself. I'll just let it come up naturally. Um, or in which, a podcast. Or in a podcast. <laughs> you can maybe even hear my a little bit of my aggression there. Um, but I really don't care if people judge me and think I'm not deep because I know and the people around me know what I've weathered. Um, but I do think it's important to talk about. And so um, I, I just think that most people would assume that it is rainbows and butterflies all the time. But actually, I've just quite frankly worked my tail off in counseling to um, navigate the hard seasons with grace and still being able to have joy simultaneously. Why do you think that everybody should be going? There's a should. Why do you think that everyone needs to go to counseling? Because I have also been to Kelsey's counselor. Best mystery of my year. It was great, but I do not approach it necessarily the same way as Kelsey because I am a different personality type as we unpacked earlier. But even if somebody hasn't weathered really hard seasons in their past or doesn't have trauma in their childhood or any of the other number of things that we assume people go to counseling for, what's the value of just anyone going to counseling any season of their life? Maybe they don't have a big dream right now whatever. Man. Okay. So one thing my counselor and I talk about a lot because we're friends and I love her. Um, 
is, you know, it's kind of approaching counseling in the good seasons that prepares you for the hard season. So maybe you haven't gone through a super traumatic situation or you feel like you're in a good place. You know, it's doing the work now to be able to approach the pain that could come. And most people are not untouched by pain, you know, and so not to say like, oh, if you've never had any point to think hard, it's coming. I don't tend to live life like that. I might as well enjoy the good moments while they're here. But I do think there's no way we can get through a full life without pain. So how can I do the work now to thrive better next time the hard times come? And that's just what it comes down to is I want to thrive. I want to thrive carrying my purpose and my calling. I want to care for and steward my team well with my business. I noticed that, you know, my husband was getting the worst of me and my audience and my friends were getting the best of me. And I think that Anyone is going to navigate those seasons. Those are just some of my personal ones. But for you, for anyone who's wired differently than me, who might not be in a hard season, who might not be running their own business and facing those pressures, no matter where you're at, I just think having some type of person checking in on you that's unbiased, that's not a friend, that you can tell the worst parts of who you are and the people around you, and they have a total unbiased opinion, and their goal is just for the most integrated, healthy you, I think you can't lose there, even if you only see them once a month because you're in a great place. And something I've seen Kelsey do really well that I don't think is very common is the fact that she pursues self-work on the front end, even if there is not an immediate need for it. And throughout the past couple of years that I've known her, I've seen her in hard seasons run to that place of finding someone who's unbiased to pour into her, but also go and sit in the counseling sessions when nothing dramatic is going on in her life. She is just preparing herself for the future and prepping to be healthier for the future, which I think is really cool and really different and has served you really well. Yeah, because hard times can come totally out of left field. I literally had the hardest year of my life last year and it was mostly unrelated to my business. It was actually family and friendships that got really hard and really, really painful and that affected business. So I think for me, I learned my value for doing the work on the front end is when some of the most painful seasons have come totally out of left field. I'd say 2017 was one of the hardest years of my life. And most of the pain points that came in were actually unrelated to my business. That was actually a year of simplifying and really going back to the basics and having a time of rest in my business. It was family stuff that literally hit us out of left field that we had to work on. And it was friend stuff and church stuff that we needed to navigate. But that emotional pain affected my business. And I sat my butt in counseling every other week last year. And I think that um, I had also been doing that for a few years prior. And it, it prepared me to, you know, take that season in stride. Mm -hmm. Do you think that personal pain or business pain, that's not really um, a formal term, are more difficult? Like which one is more difficult in running your business? Which one is more of a hindrance to you? Gosh, I feel like we've had this conversation of sometimes it feels like not to be a Debbie Downer, but sometimes it feels like the second your business pain is handled, a personal thing pops up. Um, And that's just life. You know, again, none of us are untouched by pain. And so I think 
Um, they just feel different. The second, you know, you think that getting your finances in order is like the most stressful thing in the world when it's tight or when it's hard. And then that starts flowing and you realize, ooh, this emotional pain in my personal life is way more painful than this financial pain, you know? Yeah. So I think it just feels different and Hopefully we don't live them both at the same time always. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. It's interesting because I think that that is such a true sentiment of there's always going to be another issue. And for someone like Kelsey who loves fun and freedom, that can feel like a really negative mentality to say there's always going to be something else. But again, doing that self-work has allowed her to go through those seasons in such a way where instead of worrying about what the next thing is going to be, it's okay, well, I'm preparing no matter what comes. And I think that mindset shift has allowed you a lot more freedom. Oh my gosh. What yes. you say? Yes. I feel like this conversation could go on for an hour and a half because <laughs> ours usually do. And you're like really hearing um, what our daily conversations look like. Pretty much. But I would say my biggest lesson of last year was you can hold joy and pain simultaneously. If I would have known what a hell of a year it would have been, I would have braced myself like it was about to be the end of the world. Like yeah. I would have locked my knees, freaked out at about what was to come. I mean, it, it was literally the hardest year of my life for a plethora of reasons. Um, whether it was medical bills mounting, arms dislocating surgeries to crazy family things to stressful business situations, I would have braced myself like standing in the waves, ready for it to knock me over. And I, yeah, (laughs) Um, um, but I, I realized, wow, I had a lot of really joyful moments and it showed me that when the next hard season comes, cause it finally felt like there was a shift by December of 2017. And I moved into, you know, finally a really good year. Like I'm just going to celebrate. It has been a freaking awesome year for 2018. And I think it showed me that, you know, a hard season could come again and it will in my life. Like I'm 28 years old, but that I, I don't have to be so scared. Like it could be good too. Yeah, I agree. And Kelsey is actually one of the first people I knew who would pick a word for her year. (laughs) And she picked the word abundance and I copied it because I was also having a rough 2017 and didn't feel confident enough to pick my own word. But what do you think is the point of doing that? Like, why is that important to you? I have never been a word picker either. Like I heard podcast people talk about it. Wait, really? Church people. I thought you had been picking words for years. No, I feel like that's like way more deep, like introspective introverts who like pick deep words for the I mean, I'm, we're deep, but you know what I mean? Um, so, um, but I really, really worked on a lack mentality last year. Cause running my own business, I really was scared the rug was going to be pulled out from under me. And so, um, I made some big, some big girl decisions in 2017, um, with investing in marketing. Like it, it was really scary. Griffin got the Kelsey coaster crying phone calls. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just a little laugh to let you know how we felt about that. But, um, but I, I really was like, you know what? I'm going to believe for abundance. So it's not only just like, I'm happy and thinking about abundance for the year. It was like, no, I'm going to declare this. And if God spoke the world into existence, I'm going to believe and declare this over my year. And I've never seen so much breakthrough. Um, I don't think things are as simple as just naming it and claiming it. I'm not saying that, but I really chose to believe a new trajectory for my year and work at it. So in January, when the Instagram algorithm changed and I thought this could be the end of my business, my counselor said to me, Kelsey, 
you can take the bait and you can get scared or you can believe for abundance. And what happened? It ended up being fine. And actually my client's growth like doubled. And so I, I really think when we make a declaration like that, sometimes over our life, we're going to have to fight for it. It doesn't mean it's actually easier. Sometimes it gets hard, but I really wanted to believe for something that felt challenging for my year. For sure. And I think that you have done that. And what's cool is that you have also invited other people into that by publicly sharing your word and saying, this is what I am shooting for this year. And that's interesting because I think a lot of people have bigger goals or prospects for the future, but they don't really invite anybody else into them, whether or not they come true. And I think that's why most people don't invite other people because they're scared like, oh, I'm believing for abundance, but it's not going to happen. So I don't want to tell anybody, you know, and so how have friends and mentors, because we need to talk about that too, played into not just this goal, but any of the goals that you set? Yes. Yes. So, so I really, A, why wouldn't you invite people into that? Maybe that feels vulnerable. And so I get that. I do get that. I guess, I guess that's why people wouldn't invite that in, but the beauty of being a seven is that you really do believe your crazy things are possible. So mm-hmm. I like totally don't believe I have limits. Yeah. Cause I, as a one, I'm like, I don't know that I would just invite everybody into this because I got to make sure it's perfect before I yeah, I forget show it to that. others. Like all the crazy things I say, I totally believe are <laughs> true and real. And if it don't work out, it's fine. Cause something better is around the corner, but you know, why not invite people in? And maybe that's more stretching for you than it is for me, but that's always been natural. I mean, I'm an inviter to the point of awkward and Griffin, I, I could go down a long list of my, you really know, really awkward invitations that turn out strange. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> um, but I, I really think that I've been shown abundance as well this year. So, um, I've had women willing to invest in me, you know, abundance doesn't always look like just joy or money for me. You know, I've had, I would say really four of my like 10 mentors, um, this year invest in me in such a significant way. So my two business mentors have poured into me in a way this year that has allowed my business to double. So, there really hasn't even been a monetary exchange between us, but just if I look back at my time since knowing them and how my business has evolved, my business has doubled. So there's that. There's a semblance of abundance that just comes from an exchange of wisdom and empowerment. And then there's another mentor that, you know, is a counselor to me. And it's a form of counseling that, you know, it's, it's ethical for her to be in my life. Like it's a different kind of counseling, but, um, you know, I, I'm in the process of writing something and my chapter for her is mentors fight for your freedom. Um, thanks to Griffin helping me figure out that chapter title. (laughs) Um, but like, I really feel like with her, um, investment in my emotional health, I would not be where I am today. And then another mentor that I just got to spend a week in Maine with hosted me with so much hospitality that showed me that when I believe for abundance financially for my life, this is exactly how I want to use it. I just got to go to Maine with them for a week and she's been in my life since I was practically born. And just the way they shared their home and gave me a place to rest and restore and really refuel me, that showed me abundance and a way of generosity and hospitality. And so I've really seen this come into play in my life of, you know, when I'm believing for abundance, 
it's really been full circle. It's not been just money or just, you know, great friendships or it's been people willing to invest in me. And I, I think, you know, any of us can have that. We just have to be willing to ask and look for it. Can you talk a little bit more about asking and looking for it? Because we have unpacked with each other a lot that you've had mentors that have just kind of fallen in your lap and Mm -hmm. people that have been placed in your life that you never would have asked for or realized how big their impact was. But what about the mentors that you have purposefully sought out Mm -hmm. and can you give us any strategy or reason why someone has never done that and wants to learn more about seeking out a mentor? Yeah. So I'd say some women have fallen into my lap, but also I'm super relational. So I invest back in them. So I, you know, invite them out. Some people are too embarrassed or too awkward to, to make the first move. And I think sometimes it comes down to that. So first it's taking stock of who you have in your life of people who are already showing up. You know, one of the missionaries that taught at a school who she's pretty famous. She's not like, she's just a Joe blow. And she said her mentor you know, was just a lady in our town. Her mentor was not another famous person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that they're the most mind-blowing person who's ever walked this earth. You don't have to ask Oprah to be your mentor. It's looking at the people who are already in your life and doing something well. So maybe, you know, they're a type of mentor to you, but they're not showing you how to walk out every single area of your life. Maybe, you know, Suzanne, this is not any of mine. Suzanne is helping me learn how to thrive in marriage while Sadie is helping me to thrive in my business. And so they don't have to have their whole life together to be able to invest in you. It's really just looking around at the people in your life and seeing what they're good at. And then the women who have just flat out asked, I've asked by first serving them, especially in the business place. So like, what can I do for you um, to meet with me once a month? That might feel weird, but it definitely feels a lot better than, Hey, can I pick your brain? And so really approaching someone who might be, you know, not as easy to invite into a mentor role into your life with a way of how could I serve you or a compliment of, Hey, I noticed that you are amazing at this. One of my young life girls in college, her mom just was doing family. Well, her kids loved her. She'd been married for 20 or 30 years. She was happy. She was still, you know, walking with God. And I was like, wow, she is doing some things in her life. Right. And I just want to learn from her. That's it. And we got coffee once a month and we became friends. And so I think it's really looking around you and looking at the women that are already there and what they're doing well and asking, they don't have to be, you know, the person delivering TED Talks in your community, they can actually just be excelling at a part of their life and you ask them to pass that on. Um, And then also, if you don't have a lot of people, some people are going to be thinking, but I don't have anyone like that. Then go get involved in your community first so you can actually meet these women. If you don't have that at all, yeah, if that doesn't even feel attainable, um, get involved. You know, in our community, we have Tuesday togethers meetups, which are on Tuesdays. And maybe it's going to be a girl that's only a few years older than you. There's not a lot of, you know, older women there, or, you know, we have an event called girl crush social club in our community that, you know, has about 75 women showing up. That's just a great place to meet people. So go somewhere that's, that allows you to meet people first. Maybe that's church. Maybe that's a networking event, you name it. Um, maybe that's volunteering at a, shelter and you end up meeting an amazing, caring woman that could invest in you there. So I think there's just opportunities for you to get involved and it does require you to participate. Do you think that you can be a mentor without having a mentor? Yes, 100%. Well, what does it look like? 
So I think that, you know, I think there are plenty of my mentors who maybe didn't always have someone um, investing in them. And I think it's just being able to give away what you're good at. So maybe you're not good at everything. Maybe you feel disqualified, but there are some things you're good at and you can't be willing to share that generously with someone who that would be beneficial. They say even in the business space, someone only needs to be two or three steps behind you to learn from you. They don't have to be 10 years younger than you to learn from you. They just need to see, be able to look at you, see that you're a few steps ahead and be willing to learn from you. And so there are surely a few people in your life that you could turn around and invest in. And I, I did that. I was 18 when I started mentoring and I had 40 young life girls I was taking to camp. I didn't know what I was doing, but thankfully the kinks were worked out along the way. I probably gave some bad advice sometimes and you know, I just prayed that that shook out. And <laughs> <laughs> is that great? Great phrase. Um, I want to keep talking about mentorship and we can, but also before the end, I want to do like a hot seat round where I just yeah. ask you a bunch of questions that aren't actually that important, kind of like about your reality TV shows. Oh yeah. So people too. can just get like a more well-rounded sense of Kelsey Chapman. Please hit me. You want to start there? You want to oh, go? Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be a wide variety Ooh, of questions, God. really whatever comes to mind. She but knows all my worst habits. I do know all her worst habits. We might touch on a few of those and I will... <laughs> be shaking my head in my own judgment sitting here. Okay. Favorite color? Black clothing. <laughs> like my soul. Just Emo Kelsey. Emo Kelsey. <laughs> um, favorite food? Chicken wings. Chocolate. Together? No. Kelsey has a gluten and probably dairy allergy, which is a point of contention because she chooses to eat it, which if you're listening, please don't eat something you're allergic to. It's bad for you. Um, Sometimes Waffle House calls your name at midnight. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to do it again. Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> it doesn't. Okay, so favorite food to narrow down to one? Medium rare steak. That wasn't even one of the ones you listed. I know. I like it all. Okay. <laughs> favorite food to cook? Demas's chicken and rice soup. And if you were from Middle Tennessee, you know. I have tried this soup it tastes like butter. Griffin calls it butter soup. I call it butter soup. It's not bad. It's just buttery. Yeah. Butter makes life better. Okay. Favorite TV show? Woo! Younger right now, but I also love Real Housewives of New York. Favorite not reality or like light and airy TV show? We're trying to show your depth too. Billions. Okay. hedge fund investors. It is. I've seen it. It's good. Okay. Favorite book? Duh. Bittersweet by Shauna Nyquist. Bittersweet is your favorite? Mm -hmm. I thought Present Over Perfect was your favorite. Oh, Present Over Perfect. I forgot. Bittersweet was first. Okay. It was my first favorite Shauna because I read that first then Cold Tangerines. And then Love Does by Bob Goth. Both are sevens on the Instagram. Sevens. Um, So they really speak my language. I used to give Shauna's books away to everyone. Like I've probably given away 40 copies of things. And then I realized like it is impactful to people, but it was especially impactful because of her speaking my language. True. Favorite podcast that is not your own because you can't say that. Typology with Ian Cron because it's about the Enneagram. It is good. If you want to learn more about the Enneagram and your interest was piqued by what we talked about today, that is a really good place to start in reading The Road Back to You. And Kelsey also has like a printout of all her Enneagram resources. You could probably link it. Yeah, link up my... Pre-made Google Doc. It might be necessary to unclutter some of the things that we have probably breezed over. Okay, favorite... You are so not prepared for this one. Favorite weird date 
that you ever went on. So like, it's probably a weird experience. That's a great story. Gosh, I have a good one off the top of my head. I'm just thinking if there could be a funnier one. <gasps> okay. I have two. Okay. First one, it wasn't a full on date, but I, um, Oh, I have three. <laughs> Maybe we got to pick the highlights. I was boy crazy before David. Um, but okay. Okay. One was a weird one where I got home and he sent me a slideshow he'd made with this video on his phone of going through all of my Facebook profile <gasps> pictures with music, like a song in the background. I was really stressed and uncomfortable. Um, and so I moved on from that. That didn't work out. Another one was in college when I was like hanging out with this guy and realized he'd also been hanging out and talking to my young life girl who was 15 years old. Love triangle with your youth girl. Not cool. Um, really embarrassing too, like humbling to my ego. Um, had no idea. He was in college. He was not, even though I did end up marrying a pretty young thing who's four years older than me. That did not happen until after college. Oh, younger than me. Yeah. My PYT. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. How long have you been married? Three and a half years. Biggest lesson you've learned in marriage. Willingness goes a long way. So someone told me, a mentor, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) Someone told me when I was getting married, like, hey, you're going to be a different person by year seven than when you start. So just know that like you're growing and evolving and changing together. So you're not even really marrying someone for who they are when you get married, expecting them to be that way forever. But willingness um, goes a long way. So I think in the hardest seasons when David and I have been willing to understand each other versus just like set in our ways or willing to communicate when it's uncomfortable, willing to work on things that we think are fine and we think we're right. Um, Willingness really goes a long way. And and I think, um, I think that's the key to marriage because you're never going to do it right all the time. I think you just got to be willing to work. What is a strange talent that you have? Um, my arms just fall out of their socket. You should, you should probably explain that one a little more. I nowadays live life like a pencil. Um, arms zipped up tight to my side. But when I was little, I was really double jointed and like stretched them and stepped through them. So now when I see a kid stepping through their arms, as like a trick. I'm like, don't do it. It's going to cost you $10,000. Um, <laughs> but you know, my arms just started falling out of my socket when I was curling my hair, when I was making coffee, putting a shirt on. So finally I had to get surgery last year. Hence one of the contributors to hardest year of my life. Um, but um, I had surgery to fix my left arm. Hopefully don't have to fix my right arm. That, you know, was the final straw. Um, and now I am becoming a strong woman at Pure Bar. Um, and I, I worked out four days in a row this week. I feel like we need to document that because Kelsey did actually come to Pure Bar four days this week. And that isn't the norm. That's why I didn't say favorite workout because up until My this favorite week, workout's Pure Bar. It is. She's really good at advertising for me. Um, up until this week, we didn't have an answer to that, to that favorite. I know. And now I see how people get addicted to working out. We're going to check back in a few weeks <laughs> and see how that addiction is going. Okay. I have two more. Okay. One, we're taking a page out of Jamie Ivey's book. Another okay. favorite podcaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Is what's something you're loving right now? She always asks her guests that, and I think it's just so good. I'm loving slowing down and slow mornings. So, again, y'all need to check back with me in a few weeks, but I'm pretty confident in myself. I've cleared my meetings from my schedule and trying to really just have less meetings in general because at some point they become pointless. Um, um, hello. 
seven's relationships with expectations, but I have cleared my morning schedules and now I have them to go to Pure Bar, take a drive, drink a coffee, and then I come home and get started for my day. You hit the nail on the head for what my last question is going to be. I'm kind of going to give you your answer, but why don't you tell us about your drives? <laughs> I, I love my drives. And so everyone who knows me knows I can be a little bit manic, like just lots of energy all the time. And so, especially during a season where, you know, I used to be so disciplined and be able to, I like woke up and wanted to read my Bible and have a slow morning, but I really got to a year of my life that turned into like three, um, where I just couldn't sit still and sit and like read a Bible without like cleaning my house, possibly because my house is my office. It's my home. It's like, I really just couldn't sit still. I'm also in social media. So my phones just were there. And so I found that drives in the car were a place I could calm down. I wouldn't be on my phone and I would just think and maybe pray. Maybe I'd listen to a worship music in a sermon, or maybe I'd listen to a podcast that had four great ideas that help Maybe I listened to a podcast that jogged like four amazing ideas. And so I came to love my drives and I go through this little mountain drive. I put 60,000 miles in my car in a year and a half and went through brake pads in nine months. But you know what? Those brake pads were worth my peace. And I love my drives. But now I've, I think I may have, I've said for a long time, I wish I loved working out as much as I love my drives. And I think I do. Whoa. We will leave you with that cliffhanger unless <laughs> you have any more fun facts about yourself that you think are good for your listeners to know this week. You know, I think we'll leave it there till next time. I think we will. Well, guys, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Radiant Podcast. I feel like I'm imitating you because I kind of am, but... Kelsey will be doing these interviews with other friends in the future so that you guys can learn more about her. So I hope you enjoy. Hope everyone takes a drive in her honor today <laughs> and goes to Pure Bar. Yeah, go to Pure Bar. Preferably Colorado Springs. We'll be there. <laughs> Until next time. You needed to close it, didn't you? Oh, oh I didn't even need to. <laughs> we can turn me off. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Oh,